Warm welcome to the visitors that are joining us today. A warm welcome to the pals joining us also. Uh, if, I, if you haven't met me yet, my name is Michael Risk and I'm the associate pastor here at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. And today we are opening up God's Word together from Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 49. Uh, this can be found in our corner post, our church newsletter, or alternatively, if you have a Bible with you today, feel free to open that up also. I'll be reading that out for us. Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 39. Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 39. And this is God's word. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, Father, we pray that you would be with each of us. Father, we pray that you would give us ears that will be attentive to your word and hearts that will be open. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would be with each and every one of us, and we pray that your word would be powerfully um, known to us this day. Uh, please be with me, your servant, as I preach your word. And we pray all these things for Christ's sake and for his glory. Amen. Uh, the Gospel. Uh, the Gospel the Apostle Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthians is a stumbling block for the Jews and is foolishness to the Gentiles. Uh, the message of Christianity's Savior dying on a Roman cross and then rising from the dead after three days, for most is a hard pill to swallow. Uh, listen what, to what J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God, says. He says, it's no wonder that thoughtful people find the gospel of Jesus Christ hard to believe. For the realities with which it deals pass our understanding. But it's sad that so many make faith harder than it need be by finding difficulties in wrong places. Take the atonement, for instance. Many feel difficulty there. How, they ask, can we believe that the death of Jesus of Nazareth, one man expiring on a Roman gibbet, put away a world's sins? How can that death have any bearing on God's forgiveness of our sins today? Or take the resurrection, which seems to many a stumbling block. How 
they asked, can we believe that Jesus rose physically from the dead? Granted, it is hard to deny that the tomb was empty, but surely the difficulty of believing that Jesus emerged from it into an unending bodily life is even greater. Is not any form of the theory of temporary resuscitation after a faint, or of the stealing of the body, easier to credit than the Christian doctrine of the resurrection? At the resurrection, in our passage today, we are turning our attention to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And as we turn our attention to these verses before us, I want us to notice three things. The first is the power of the resurrection. The second, the promise of the resurrection. And then third, the proclaiming of the resurrection. Let's start with our first point today, the power of the resurrection. Our friends, the resurrection is like nothing else. There are stories in novels and movies which like to capture the dead communicating with the living, guiding them and helping them in their journey, a sort of spirit guide, if you will. Uh, when I think of stories like this, my mind immediately goes to that scene in Lion King, uh, perhaps you know the one I'm talking about, where Mufasa appears to Simba, calling Simba to reclaim his rightful place as king of Pride Rock. Or another movie, I think of that uh, fight scene in Harry Potter, Harry Potter the Goblet of Fire, between Voldemort and Harry, and then his parents appearing in Harry's hour of need. Our stories like this try to capture the fantasy of the dead returning and helping the main character in their most dire moments. Uh, we even have something like this in 1 Samuel chapter 28, when the witch of Endor conjures up the spirit, the ghost of Samuel, to help Saul in his moment of need as Saul fights against the Philistines. But how do these figures appear to us? How do they appear in the movies, the stories, or even in Samuel, in the book of Samuel? Well, more often than not, they appear ghostly. Uh, they don't appear whole. What we see is a person before us, and they are a shadow of their former selves. But that's not what we see in our passage, is it? We aren't greeted with some disembodied spirit, nor someone who is fading in and out of view or a voice that seems distant and perhaps not even there. Now, what happens in our passage today? Well, the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples. Have a look with me at verses 36 to 43. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still don't, did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took, he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, friends, this scene before us isn't like the movies. 
Jesus appears before his disciples, and not as a shimmering spirit, but one standing before them. And when he sees their doubts, he sees the looks on their faces, he casts all doubts away by saying, look at my hands, look at my feet. A Jesus is not some shimmering ghost where we only see his torso and his head. Now he points their attention to his hands and his feet. He shows his disciples where the nails were driven through his hands, where the nails were driven through his feet. He even says to his disciples here in our passage, touch me and see that it is I before you. Jesus is saying, I appear to you not as a spirit, but as one who has flesh and bone. He then shows further demonstration that he is not a spirit by asking for something to eat and then eating in front of them. I remember in my youth, I, I think it was the movie Casper the Ghost. And in one of those scenes, he and a bunch of others were eating food and they were really enjoying themselves. But as they ate the food, the food went straight through them and appeared on the floor above where they were hovering. But that doesn't happen here. Uh, Jesus eats the food and it's gone. What Jesus does here is further demonstrate that he is not some ghost. He is not some spirit, but he has bef appeared before his disciples in the flesh. One that they can see, one that they can touch, and one that can consume food. And so Jesus shows his disciples that this power before them is like nothing that they have seen before. He is not some spirit whom death has conquered. But he appears to them, resurrected in his body. He shows that he has conquered death. He has destroyed the power of death. Death has not conquered Jesus. Jesus has conquered death. And this conquering of death, friends, the resurrected body of Jesus, is good news. It's wonderful news. Jesus has defeated death. And not just for himself. But he has done that for all who were united to him. Paul in Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Friends, the message of the resurrection isn't just his story. It's not a story that just starts and ends with Jesus. It's a message for all of us. It's a message that gives hope to all of us. That all those who are united to Jesus, those whom Jesus died for on the cross, they too will share in the resurrection. And it doesn't just stop there. But in that same passage in Colossians 1, Paul says that through the resurrection, Jesus reconciles all things to himself. So friends, the resurrection isn't just for the Christian it's for all of creation. Our Romans 8 says that all creation was subjected to decay and that creation itself groans for renewal. The resurrection is a promise of sin and death being fully defeated, finally defeated. The resurrection points forward to a promise where sin will be no more, where corruption will be no more, where sickness and death will be no more. And Jesus started this work when he rose from the dead after three days. 
and he will finish this work at his return. My friends, the resurrection is the power that conquered the grave. And not just death, but in and through the resurrection, sin and all its power has been defeated. Death has lost its sting. So the appearing of Jesus to his disciples is much more than Jesus appearing as a guide for the next part of their journey. By appearing before them, resurrected, he shows his disciples that redemption and restoration has come. The promise that was foretold in Genesis 3 has found its answer in Jesus. And Jesus tells his disciples that all that was spoken in Scripture points to him. And this leads us now to our second point. Point two, the promise of the resurrection. The resurrection is a message of hope to a fallen world. And this message of hope is woven through all of Scripture. Look with me at what Jesus says next. He says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. By mentioning the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, Jesus is saying that the entire Old Testament finds its fulfillment in him. And Jesus explains to them how the Old Testament points to him. Our passage says that Jesus opened their minds to understand this. Now, what might this mean? Well, it could mean that now that Jesus has appeared to them in the flesh, he is providing to them the missing puzzle pieces necessary for them to see the picture more clearly. He is able to explain to them with further clarity what he has been trying to say to them these last three years. During his three-year ministry in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told and spoke of his death and his resurrection to his disciples three times. And in his third explanation, he says this in Luke chapter 18. Let me read it for us. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So prior to the resurrection, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. What Jesus was saying was kept hidden from them. But now, but now Jesus appears before them. They are able to understand. They are able to see with greater clarity. I think of it like this. Prior to the resurrection, Jesus was speaking of a concept that they couldn't grasp. It's like trying to explain to someone what a dog looks like having never seen a dog before. Uh, it's an animal with four legs, it has a tail, it's covered with fur and it barks. Uh, but Jesus, as he appears before his disciples now, as he comes before them now, with the concept revealed, it's like he's coming before his disciples with a dog, and they can understand what he means. He says, this, this is what I was referring to you guys. His disciples can only understand the resurrection, having now seen it for themselves. 
He then explains from Moses, from the law of Moses, from the prophets, from the writings, from the entire Old Testament, that it was all. All of it was pointing to him. If we think about the Old Testament, on its own, it's only ever half the story. The Old Testament on its own speaks of a problem. The Old Testament on its own speaks of promises, but it doesn't tell you the answer to the problem, nor what these promises involve. I think of the Old Testament like walking upon a crime scene. A murder has happened. Something devastating has happened. But there are no answers. We have no idea who has done it. And what Jesus does for his disciples is he gives them the answers. He tells them the answer to the problem. He tells them that all the promises that were made by God point to him. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Likewise, just as the Old Testament needs the New to give clarity and understanding, the New Testament needs the Old to make sense. I remember once meeting a fellow who described himself as a New Testament-only Christian, that he doesn't read the Old, only the New. But to read the New Testament without the Old is being told that the butler did it, but not being told what he did. Uh, Vaughan Roberts in his book, God's Big Picture, helpfully puts it like this. The Old Testament on its own is an unfinished story, a promise without fulfillment. We must read on to the New Testament if we want to know what it really means. And the New Testament constantly looks back to the promise it fulfills. We shall not make much sense of it if we are not aware of what has come before. Friends, as a side note, for those interested in wanting to know how the Bible fits together, uh, Vaughan Roberts' God's Big Picture is an excellent and easy read. I encourage you to read that book for those that are interested. And as a point of application, can I encourage those of us here, please, please read your Bibles. If you want to know about this great hope that we have, if you want to know more what Jesus has really given to his people, you need to read what God has given us. We need to read his word. We need to read the whole redemptive story. So take, take and read, read the Bible. And if you struggle to read it, start small, perhaps just a chapter or two a day. And if you haven't read the Bible before, or if you are new to the Christian faith, and you're not sure where to start, start with one of the Gospels, either the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Uh, back to our passage. Uh, so Jesus has told his disciples that all of Scripture points to him, that fulfillment and hope is found in him. The missing puzzle pieces that have been given, uh, the disciples can now see the picture more clearly. And what is the picture that they see? Well, they are able to understand why Jesus needed to suffer and die. And then on the third day, rise from the dead. They are able to understand why Christ's name must be proclaimed and the repentance and forgiveness of sins be said and spoken to all nations. 
uh, these disciples could, for example, now see how Isaiah 49 finds its answer in Jesus. That reconciliation for Israel and salvation for all nations find its promise in Him. So the disciples see the resurrected Jesus. They see that His resurrection points to the promised hope that was spoken throughout all of Scripture. That the resurrection of Jesus is a message of hope to a fallen world. It is a message of renewal and restoration. It is a message of repentance and forgiveness. And with this message comes the exhortation to make it known. And this brings us to our third point. Point three, the proclaiming of the resurrection. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples that the proclaiming of the repentance and forgiveness of sins, the proclaiming of his death and his resurrection is a proclamation for us to carry out. He says, you are my witnesses. A witness is someone who bears testimony of what they have seen. In other words, what Jesus is asking his disciples is to bear witness, to speak and to share what they have seen, to speak and share what you have seen. He says, proclaim and make that, those promises known, those promises that have been waited for. They finally have an answer. Go and share that salvation has arrived. He says to them, be my witness and say that hope has come. And it has come in the resurrection, where death and sin have been conquered. But how? How, we ask, how do we go and do this? How were the disciples to go and do this? Well, Jesus says to them, he says to you and I, as you go, you will be empowered to do this. He says to them, I will clothe you with power from on high. Our passage is referring to the giving of the Holy Spirit. And friends, what a wonderful gift. What a wonderful gift the Lord has given His church. As we read in John 3, the spirit that God gives us is a spirit of renewal. It is a spirit of rebirth. The Holy Spirit changes and renews the Christian. He gives them a new heart, replacing their heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He changes and renews our minds. But the Holy Spirit also gives us so much more. He gives us so much more than just new birth through the gospel. The Holy Spirit also generously equips the Christian to go out and to proclaim the good news. Friends, if I may be honest with you, I would not be here before you doing this role if not through the gifting and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, many of you probably don't know this, but I'm a big-time introvert. Uh, give me a book, uh, give me a TV series, give me a movie any day of the week rather than a party or some sort of gathering. And I don't really enjoy public speaking. Uh, there are many weeks before I come here and preach God's Word from this pulpit that I'm afraid. I am nervous. And there are many weeks that I don't want to do it. I remember telling Campbell during my MTS apprenticeship several years ago now that if we could keep my preaching limited probably one or once or twice a year, I said that would be great. 
Uh, back then, I could think of nothing more frightening than coming before a group of 150 people and preaching God's Word for 30 minutes. But it's an amazing work. It's an amazing work what the Spirit does, for He does not just give us rebirth. He does not just give us renewal. Uh, the Spirit equips God's people for the task of living for and proclaiming the kingdom, living and proclaiming of who Jesus is, a message of how Jesus suffered and died for His people, that He took upon Himself their sins. He died their punishment. And then on the third day, He rose and conquered death. And as we've mentioned already, the resurrection of Jesus points forward to the Christian's resurrection, where we will be free from the curse and penalty of sin, where we will one day see God face to face. And the resurrection of Jesus points forward to renewal and restoration of a fallen world, where sin and death will be no more, and all that was lost with the sin of Adam will be reclaimed. The Holy Spirit equips and empowers the Christian to proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done for a fallen world. The Holy Spirit equips and empowers the Christian to proclaim and share the resurrection to a dying and sinful world. Christian, Christian, each of us have been called to go and proclaim this message. Each of us are witnesses to the restorative work of Jesus made known to us through the Holy Spirit, in giving us rebirth, in giving us renewal. We are witnesses to that. And so we have been called to share this message with those around us. We are called to share this message with our friends, with our family. We are called to share this message with our work colleagues and classmates. We are called to share this message with the city of Hobart. How many people are in this city, friends? Over 200,000 people. And thousands and thousands of people are living each and every day without a clue who Jesus is. Thousands and thousands of people are living each and every day needing to hear the hope that is found in Jesus. Needing to hear the hope that is found in the resurrection. Many of them are fearful. Many of them are afraid. They need to hear the hope that is found in Jesus. They need to hear the hope that is found in the resurrection. And friends, if you struggle to share this message, can I encourage you to pray? Can I encourage you to ask for help? As through the Spirit, we have been clothed with power from on high. So pray that the Holy Spirit will equip you to proclaim the message of the resurrection. Pray that the Holy Spirit will go before you and that He will prepare the soil needed for gospel seeds to take root, for gospel seeds to germinate. Pray that the Holy Spirit will go before you and He will give you the words to speak, the words to speak a message of hope to a city that is in dire need of it. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus for many learned people is a confusing and bewildering doctrine. But for the Christian, it is a message of hope. The resurrection is a message of renewal. The resurrection is a message of reconciliation. And the resurrection is a message that needs 
to be made known. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our Lord, we, we thank you. We give you thanks and praise for our minds being made open, of this great mystery being revealed to us, the message of hope that is found in the resurrection. That through what Jesus has done, we have been given hope. We have been adopted as your sons and your daughters. Father, we have been given a message of one day being able to see you face to face, of one day knowing that sin will be fully conquered and no more, where death will be no more. Our Father, we give you thanks that you have made this known to us. And Father, you have called us to be your witnesses, to go out and to share this good news, share the good news of the resurrection uh, to those around us. And Father, this can be a hard task that you have called us to. But Father, we thank you that you have not left us alone to do this, that you have clothed us with power from on high. You have given to us your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we pray, empower us to do this work you've called us. Holy Spirit, we pray, go before us and guide our steps. Holy Spirit, we pray, give us the words to speak as we speak to our loved ones, our friends and our family, our work colleagues and our schoolmates. Our Father, you have given us a great message. Thank you for revealing it to us. Help us to also be your hands and feet in sharing it to others. We pray this for Christ's sake and for his glory. Amen.